Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. So, so if you listen to the show a lot, you know that I don't really believe in the maybe the public radio thing of making everything sound like a real finished product and never really acknowledging anything that might be going on in the background. So I am going to tell you what's happening here right now. I mean, it's fine, first of all. We're going to be fine. We're going to do this show. It's going to be good no matter what. Um, but the following things have happened. Uh, Rich Holland, who is going to be one of the news panelists today, had to drop out. Um, as you can hear from my voice, I'm still not 100% myself. Somehow or other, because Rich dropped out, we kind of lost a topic. I don't quite understand how that happened, but uh, we don't have as many topics as we usually need to do the show. Meanwhile, um, to replace Rich, Carolyn Payne, who's in Disney World right now, is on by phone in a shady spot being fanned by Goofy, I think, uh, so that she can join us by phone. I don't think we've ever done that before. Um, I don't think I'll say anything else about uh, Carolyn's current physical or mental state. You can judge for yourself. Um, and so what else? No, so that'll give you kind of a sense. We're, we're sort of not maybe, you know, where we ordinarily would want to be here, but we don't care. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to give you a challenge, listeners. We're, we've got a first topic and we've got a third topic. If you could come up with a second topic that we could talk about without having to do any reading or research, which we obviously don't have time to do, uh, you could call us at 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-WNPR, or you can tweet at us <coughs> at WNPR Colin, at WNPR Colin on the Twitters. And maybe we would do it, or maybe we won't. We're not sure yet. And who do I mean by we? Well, I've already talked about Carolyn Payne, uh, actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Uh, she just is joining us live from the Magic Kingdom in several senses of the word. Uh, Rebecca Castellani is a music writer for the Red Hook Star Review. Kara McDonough is a freelance writer. You can read her blog at karamcdonough.com. Uh, and uh, we're ready to go. Remember, if you have a really good idea... Don't if you've never listened to the nose before. Don't suggest a topic, because I found that when I've done this in the past, people have gone, "Well, you should talk about fracking because it's really a big." No, we don't talk about things like that. All right, we're not going to talk about fracking. <laughs> we're not going to talk about impeachment. We're not going to talk about anything like that. All right, eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. If you have an idea, or at WNPR Colin, or maybe we won't use any of your ideas. I'm not sure yet. We're going to begin with something. I feel like we might have talked about it years ago, mainly because I remember. Uh, a Kion Wolf introduction about this. But um, Saturday Night Live being live is one of the places that you can sometimes see comedians do what comedians call breaking, uh, which is to say they're in the middle of a sketch, or they're playing a specific character, something happens, and they start laughing. Uh, so this happened at the uh, opening episode of Saturday Night Live last Saturday. Uh, it involved a sketch that involved a lot of wardrobe changes. And basically what happened was a wardrobe person was on the set when she thought the camera was off. And, and A.D. Bryant, uh, one of the wonderful performers there, uh, thought that was really funny. And she, well, here's what, this clip has been circulating around a lot. This is kind of what happened. Wow, Mr. Maddox, I'll 
I'll admit that you were onto something back then. <laughs> I believe. I believe that the arc of no. I believe that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Here, here. Well said, Denise. Yes. Well said indeed. He's gonna win again. All right, so A.D. Bryant, I'm a big A.D. Bryant fan. She's laughing really hard uh, in all this. I think Cicely Strong's breaking a little bit, too. Um, and maybe at a time when, pe- when tensions are high and people need a little relief, I feel like I keep saying that about various things. Uh, this has uh, kind of gone viral. People are circulating it around. A.D. gets the giggles. Um, so uh, this is one of the ones where I get to be a grumpy old man, which I'm really looking forward to. But, um, Rebecca, you can get us started. This is sort of a thing, right, we should say. SNL comedians breaking is a pretty well-known thing, and and it it has kind of its own following almost. Yeah, I mean, I think the most popular and prevalent example is obviously the Stefan character with John Mulaney feeding him increasingly ridiculous lines that he hadn't read before to see if he could get Bill Hader to break, which obviously everybody found delightful. I don't care how grumpy you are. It's impossible not to find that delightful. And I feel the same about this. I think that Breaking on SNL is different than breaking an actor, breaking character on a, in a play or even an improv. If you go to see a dedicated improv show, I feel like they're there to put on that one show. But SNL has, you know, the whole frame of SNL is they're bringing in a guest. The guest is, you know, not somebody that does stand up all the time. They come in. They might not have the best chops compared to this cast of obviously incredible improvisational actors. And I think that allows for the breaking. I think the breaking draws us in as as viewers. I tend to find SNL's gets, you know, hit or miss. A lot of them aren't that funny. But what is funny for me and what does make me giggle is the characters having a character of themselves in the show. And, you know, as we played that clip, you didn't need to see anything. But we're all sitting here smiling. And I think that that is the strength of SNL more so than any other medium for improv and, and the leniency for breaking in that medium. Yeah, we're going to let the uh, comedian go last, I think. So, Kara, uh, uh, give, give us your reaction. Uh, I totally agree. I think that characters breaking on SNL is an allowable sort of bad behavior sounds too harsh of a way to put it, but it is a behavior that's not the desired outcome. They're supposed to be funny. They're supposed to be on point. They're supposed to be in character. But because it's live and because a lot of things can go wrong, I feel like the breaking is, as Rebecca pointed out, a total delight. Um, I think that this, this in this skit in particular, it was the funniest part. It was the funniest part. It was so joyful. Um, it was out of nowhere. It was a, a wardrobe malfunction, for lack of a better term. I think that there are a lot of examples of characters breaking that are the best part of the skit. I will say that I think if somebody breaks too often, Jimmy Fallon has been brought up. Mm-hmm. I think it's not funny. I think when somebody's doing it over and over and they can't seem to hold it together, it doesn't bring the same level of joy and delight. No, I mean, Jimmy Fallon was famous for doing this. Um, It began to bother some of his castmates. Tracy Morgan, in particular, was outspoken about this. And it really began to seem like a bid for attention. Um, I mean, maybe it wasn't, but it it just seemed like, I mean, these things, they're only funny. I I question whether, I mean, because I'm a grumpy old man at this point, I don't enjoy them as much as maybe I used to. Uh, But uh, they have to happen very, very rarely, I I think. So, Carolyn, what about this? This is part of how you make your living. Yeah. So, Jimmy Fallon always bothered me when he broke because it just, to me, it it sort of, it ruins 
because he would do it in a sketch where it everyone else was taking the, everything seriously and committed to the scene. Um, and so Jimmy Fallon just ruined everything. Then um, with with this particular instance, it was joyful because it was spontaneous and it was just, you could tell, it, and laughter is contagious like that. Like yes. I, I liked it in this instance, but I don't always, as, as, a, as a comedian and as a comp, like I just don't, I, I don't think it's something that you go in planning to ever do. And that was where somebody like Jimmy Fallon, you were like, oh, come on, you're doing this on purpose. I think the special ingredient has definitely got to be spontaneity, that it has to seem completely organic. I mean, this, this the reaction is to be organic. And this was a reaction to something right. happening that should not have. I mean, the wardrobe person being there, that is. Uh, so in theater, when a when a actor laughs when they shouldn't, it's called corpsing, because that's in reference to if you were playing a corpse and then all of a sudden just got the giggles. Uh, <laughs> and I always love that expression. Yeah, that's great. Right. I mean, I, I have to say that, you know, uh, some, I really like theater a lot. And this doesn't happen in theater very much. Um, and if it did happen a lot, it would be a problem because you're trying to sustain an illusion uh, for quite a long time, usually in theater. I mean, the illusion that you are the character that you're playing, uh, often that has to go on for two or two and a half hours. So you don't like that. And I'm always just amazed at the ability of theater people to bounce back from situations where something like that happens or there's a gun that doesn't go off or something, some prop doesn't work or something. And they and, and they play through it. They play through it. And, and I also, you know, have a lot of admiration for people who do improv, where they never know what's going to happen. If they were up there laughing all the time, I mean, they do laugh sometimes. But if they were up there breaking all the time from stuff that they weren't expecting, I mean, we just sit there in the audience feeling kind of bored. I think. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really need to. Years ago, yeah, I was in a production of Noises Off, mm-hmm. and uh, there's stairs, like a set of stairs on the set and one of the other actors he was he ran out of one of the doors on, onto the platform and then fell and went down the stairs on his belly and slid all the way out off the stage and i was the only other actor on stage and i remember feeling so proud of myself because i held it together to get a line out and then managed to leave the stage before completely losing i i just lost it i was inconsolable with laughter backstage <laughs> but but you and, get through yeah I do exactly. also want to say, so, and I think that that's where you know, that kind of discipline from theater coming into sketch comedy is good because it, you are you have that sense of keep it, don't break this, like live in that moment. You were going to say something? I just think part of the reason why this specific instance of breaking has gone viral is, yes, A.D. Bryant has got a especially delightful giggle. Like, out of all the cast members, she is definitely one of the silliest to watch break. But I think that SNL is obviously a very fast-paced show, and the behind-the-scenes work that goes into that show is astounding. So the fact that we, as an audience, get to catch this little glimpse of somebody that we wouldn't normally get to see – Personally, for me, added to the delight. I always love when you kind of get the curtain lifted a little bit in something like this. And these people don't get a ton of recognition. And it allowed Aidy Bryant to give her dresser a really lovely platform on her Instagram and give her a shout out. Apparently, her full time career is a park ranger, which is just <laughs> equally delightful. Yeah. So I just think it's kind of lovely when moments like that happen that allow us as the audience to get a real appreciation for all the people that are working so hard to make this show, you know, what it is. I, I would agree. Although I will say that as I've gotten older and grumpier, I feel like I've seen this enough. 
Like, I don't need to see another clip of somebody breaking on SNL. When I was in my 20s and 30s, it really was kind of a trip to see. I think, oh, these people are human beings, too. I get to see them being human. So I will lose my joy when I am your age? You may. Or just hang on to your joy. I'll try. It's hard. Insist on your joy. Uh, And, uh, but yeah, I, 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 like Kara, one of the things that I thought was, you know, with that thing got so much attention, I actually really thought some pretty interesting things happened on the first episode of Saturday Night Live this year, including Maya Rudolph's dead-on <laughs> Kamala Harris. I, like, I was watching this thinking, how's Kamala Harris even going to recover from this? I mean, it was it was so spot on. I think it's the best thing funny. that's ever happened to Kamala Harris. Well, that's the other Yeah, it might be. Sometimes yeah. that's what happens. Sometimes these political characters take on a life of their own. I mean, I'm thinking about Kate McKinnon's Hillary Clinton. I think that sometimes these are uh, Sarah Sarah Palin. Oh, totally. They're sometimes great for these political candidates. I don't think Tina Fey was great for Sarah Palin. (laughs) Maybe not great. (laughs) Maybe the best thing that could have happened to her, though. We don't know. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you get a chance, though, hunt down that clip, too, if you're listening and you didn't see Saturday Night Live. I mean, the thing that they did with the candidates, first of all, I can't even tell Bernie Sanders from Larry David at all anymore. They are the same person. No, there's there's no difference there. I think if Larry David ran as Bernie Sanders, Sanders, Bernie Sanders would win. Well, that you know, he just he just Bernie just had this hard episode. That is an alternative. He could just say, "Look, Larry David is going to do this for a yeah. couple of weeks until I yeah, feel better." I'm out. Um, I mean, I would vote for Larry David. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want Larry David running this country. I think he would do a pretty pretty bad job uh, of running this country. But he's very amusing as that. And she, what they do just for you, just so you have kind of a sense with Kamala Harris is among other things, they kind of. Maya kind of positions her as this sort of Rizzolian Isles kind of detective show person, and she keeps doing these little sort of takes at the camera, and they run a little, you know, logo for some new series that's going to be on some second-rate network. Um, and it's it's devastating. It's just terrific. All right, so we do have calls. Oh, boy. And so, oh. so here's, the, here's here we what go. we're going to do. We're going to take the calls, and we will just decide whether we feel able to discuss this. And um, if it's no, 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 that's fine, right? Okay. We'll, we'll move on. We should say that Same. we're going to have a much more serious conversation in just a few <laughs> minutes about Unbelievable, about which there can be very, very little joking. So uh, let's run through this right now. We're going to start with Terry in Sag Harbor. Hi, Terry. You're on the air. Hi. Give us your topic idea. Pete Seeger. Just in general? Yeah. I got uh, one anecdote about Pete. We worked together for about 24 years. Yeah, it's not good. Look, I'm just going to say right now, if I added the ages of my three panelists together, we wouldn't get Pete oh, Seeger's no. age. So I'm, well, I'm a big so Pete Seeger fan. You are a big, big, wait a minute. Rebecca's a big big Pete Seeger fan. Maybe she can have a conversation with you I'm about going this. on year seven of attending the Newport Folk Festival, and this year they did a you know a really intense set that was really dedicated to all things Pete Seeger, and it was fantastic, and he's the godfather of American folk, so I appreciate yep. you bringing him up. There you go. That's a, That was our conversation about Pete Seeger, though, I think. Uh, I do was, not have anything to add. All right. Uh, I, I know Carolyn well enough to know she doesn't, <laughs> she's not going to go on a big Pete Seeger, although she will surprise me sometimes. All right. So, oh, this is a good one, maybe. Adam from Fairfield. Hi, Adam. You're on the air. Except it's not a good one if Adam's not there. Adam, you sure you're not there? All right. It was going to be about accept, acceptance. Oh, I should put him over on this side, do you think? All right. I can try. Adam, how about here? Are you there? Uh, no, I'm thinking now. Uh, okay, now I'm in a very confusing We've state. lost Adam to the east. We've lost Adam, yeah. Uh, he may be where Rich Holland is right now. Who knows? Here's uh, David in New Britain. Hi, David. Hi. Go ahead. It's uh, digital billboards. Are they going to take over the world, or are we even talking about it? Or like, do we love them? Do we hate them? I hate them, but... 
I love this topic, and I hate digital billboards. They're so distracting. You're supposed to be looking at the road, not watching like, a giant TV screen as they're on the highway. Furthermore, they ruin perfectly beautiful vistas. I'm Very not saying true. there's a million beautiful vistas where I live in New Haven. Where, yeah, where are you seeing beautiful vistas driving through? I know. I know that that's a, I know that that's a hard. But so I used to live um, on the near Tweed Airport in New Haven, and you could look across the water and see New Haven, and it was actually a pretty nice view of New Haven. And there are not that many nice views of New Haven. And then right in the middle, a digital billboard, neon pink, just sparkling in no. the sunset. Terrible. I would voice see, an I opinion. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I don't mind the digital billboards because I I feel like I. When you're driving, you're so bored anyway. At least this is like, <laughs> and you're sitting in traffic, and you're getting you're getting a change up. Do not so drive with Carolyn. Kind of... Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it would affect anybody else's opinion if there were just hypothetically, just hypothetically, a digital bill for billboard that showed stuff about public radio and maybe even specifically one public radio show? Would that be upsetting to people? I think it would upset me more. <laughs> uh, actually, I think I'm pretty sure we have we have had a digital billboard for this show at one point. Um, and all right. So that proves that we can talk about something. We're going to do two more and then we're going to go to a break. Uh, here's Colleen in Farmington. Hi, Colleen. You're on the air. Hello. So my topic is the resurgence of 80s and 90s cultures through shows like Stranger Things and Friends? Oh, I think that's a, I mean, that's absolutely a phenomenon. It's something we've talked about in connection with Stranger Things and a bunch of other stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I actually haven't talked about that. I'm jumping in. I haven't talked about that here, but I have a lot to say about that. Also, in in dress and um, accessories, their scrunchies are back. I mean, I could talk about that for the whole rest of the show. Early 2000s makeup looks too, which is like, let that die. Yeah. I'm I'm down yeah, with the, the scrunchies. Is, yeah, go ahead. The 90s is having a moment. There's definitely clothing that, you know, everything is back. And uh, apparently, I'm down here in Disney World, and the 90s is alive and well. We saw Sugar Ray perform the other night. <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> so I guess they really, it really is, really is back. You just, you I just mean, described a John Dankosky nightmare. Being at Disney World, listening to Sugar Ray. I mean, that's the kind of thing that would make him bolt out of bed in a cold sweat. Um, well, it's funny because we were rocking out to it, and my five-year-old nephew is like, I don't like this music. Every so, morning. Oh. Yes. That's Sugar Ray? That that yeah, that's Sugar dinner. Ray. No. Did you think it was Sugar Ray Robinson? No. I just want to fly. Right? Yeah. That's Sugar Ray, right? Yeah, I think that is yeah. Sugar Ray, yeah. So he has like four songs. Ugh. So they actually he actually played stuff by Blink One Eighty Two and other things. Oh God! Okay, now it's really yeah. a John Dankosky nightmare. Add bare naked ladies; they oh. might be giants, um, <laughs> and the Goo Goo Dolls, and you've got it. Oh. <laughs> uh, Wait, Sugar Ray is Mark McGrath, right? I have no yeah. idea. So I like him, Wolfie but suggests. I don't like Sugar. I don't like Sugar Ray the band, but I think that he is a person is actually an interesting, smart person who knows a lot about music. I might be wrong about that, but he seems he seems like he knows what he's doing. Just well, apparently, he has, he's a two-time he's working at Disney World. winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's following Goofy. How good, how good could his career be good doing right now? <laughs> All right, one more call here. This is a really good one, although God knows you are asking the wrong people this question, Rose, but uh -oh. just for that reason, uh -oh. uh, this is a good question. So Rose from Plainville, uh, explain what your question is. Oh, my question is this. I really need help. I'm a, I'm a nonstop over-talker with Total Recall, and a, a person who helps me 
has said that he would like to live the rest of his life without saying a word. So I'd like to know how to develop the ability to quickly ascertain whether a person that I meet is a talker or a non-talker, and if they're a non-talker, learn how to uh, learn how to not say anything. Hmm. Wow. Rose, you are my spirit animal. I love this question. Yeah. Yeah. So do we have an answer? I no. Please tell me if you find out. Kara's, so, Kara's got well, something. So I actually talk a ton, too. I talk to people all the time. I talk to people in taxis, Ubers, I guess now. I talk to people when I'm on public transportation. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a reporter at heart, so that's what I do. But I always ask people where they're from. And you can pretty quickly tell if a person is a talker or not when you ask them where they're from. Um, and then either move forward or stop. I think that if it's a one-word answer, you're going to have to stop. I think that yeah. if it's if it's more than that, keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Good but advice. see, I'm really more interested in how I can learn not to talk. All right, you are just you are talking to the wrong group of people about yeah, that. But no Car- advice, Carolyn. Do you did you want to try? Th- By the way, Kion Wolf says, Rose, you should just keep talking. I can't actually repeat the next thing that Kion says that you should tell people who tell you you talk too much. But you yeah, I want to of- hear what Rose has to say. Yeah, well, that's Me true. Too. We may give maybe book her for the nose or something. So, Carolyn, I I, I have no idea what you, light you could shed on such a thing. But also, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think that this is a really interesting question. Um, I, I agree with what Tara said, that, like, you can kind of get a sense. Uh, I mean, I will chat with people if I know them or if somebody engages in conversation. But I am someone who, if somebody comes up to me, I usually don't want to chat with them. Um, but I, I think that if you... I, I don't know. I get. Can you listen to headphones walking around so you don't feel the need to talk to anyone? So I, I, mean, actually, I, a- I can tell a quick story that may, I don't know if it'll shed any light on this, but so my father was not much of a talker and he used to have to drive back and forth uh, every day with his mother-in-law, my grandmother. Uh, and my grandmother was quite a talker. And But my father was very good in this very stoic way of just being there like this cigar store Indian or something and just driving the car and my grandmother didn't really require a whole lot of responses. She was usually talking about her operations, which he really didn't want to hear about. So um, <laughs> one day they were driving by a bank and my grandmother said, you know, that bank got robbed yesterday. And my father went, oh, yeah. And then she uh, revealed some details that she knew about the bank robbery yesterday. And then my father then for a rare moment chimed in with some details that he knew. And it turned out they were both really interested in robbing banks. They thought a lot about how they would do it. They'd read every story <laughs> about, and so they, for the rest of their lives, they had something that they could talk about because they were both, they both, and I was just totally prepared to see them in the newspaper someday having robbed a bank, which is, I'm glad. See, where's the follow-up? Right. Are you sure? Well, I know I can't, you know, I mean, if there's, they could have done the Isabella Gardner heist for all I know. So anyway, we'll stop there. Thank you for calling in, though. That was really kind of fun. And we're going to get do something that's maybe not so much fun after this break. (laughs) 
All right. Thanks to those of you who called in, and sorry to Polly, who actually had a really good topic, but we just were kind of running out of room for this uh, idea. With me, Rebecca Castellani, music writer for Red Hook Star Review, Cara McDonough, freelance writer, uh, and Carolyn Payne, who does too many things for me to name them all. Uh, she's joining us by phone from the Magic Kingdom. So we're going to talk about something that we really wanted Carolyn to be part of, because most of the things we make Carolyn talk about, cultural products, movies, TV series, she hates, uh, but she was one of the first people to binge uh, the Netflix series Unbelievable. It's based on a Pulitzer Prize-winning 2009 Marshall Project ProPublica article, An Unbelievable Story of Rape by Ken Armstrong and T. Christian Miller. 2016, This American Life based um, uh, one of its uh, series or episodes on on that article. was called Anatomy of Doubt. Uh, And there's also a book about the case, um, A False Report, A True Story of Rape in America by the same two writers. We begin in 2008 uh, in Linwood, Washington, uh, where we uh, see uh, a young woman report a rape. Uh, Her name is given as Marie Adler. I believe that is not her real name. Uh, And uh, two detectives, two male detectives uh, are talking to her. Do, conducting one of the preliminary interviews that she will have to go through, uh, and this is what that sounds like. I'm pretty positive that it happened. Pretty positive or positive? Maybe I blocked it out. Marie, mm. you're a smart young woman, clearly. You must understand the way you're handling this. You say one thing, you write another. There is a rapist. There isn't one. It's a dream. It's a blackout. You've told us four different versions. At this point, regardless of what the truth is, the only thing we know for sure is that you have told us at least three lies. What do you think should happen to someone who would lie about something like this? should get counseling. Just a little bit uh, more background. Marie is somebody who's been through the foster system and has had hard knocks, doesn't even begin to describe uh, what her life has been like. Like one of her former foster mothers is is really the key person who sows the doubts about her stories, who gets the detectives wondering whether or not her initial report uh, was true or not. So there's a sense in which there's nobody around her that she can possibly uh, rely on. This has all happened while she's in a comfort form of transitional housing, a kind of guided apartment uh, system for people like her who need some help in kind of getting on their feet as as young, very young, in her case, uh, adults. So, so Carolyn, you know, we usually count on you for the funny stuff. This is, this is a story that you binged right away. It is a story that the people watching kind of get angry about and stay angry all the way through. So tell us why this seized you. Well, I uh, saw it on Netflix, like I, the day that it launched, I hadn't heard anything about it, uh, but I'm a big fan of Toni Collette as an actress, so I saw she was in it, and I watched, you know, Netflix plays that trailer right away, and I just, I love a good, like, crime procedural, especially true crime, so I had, you know, I just was like, oh, I need to watch this. I put on the first episode, and I was hooked, and I did this all in one day. I think I maybe got up twice to get food and a glass of wine um but this really it is so well done every acting performance in it is like spot on and and the whole story and i I, of course i found myself just 
obsessively Googling while watching it, especially in the earlier episodes, and reading um, the original article it was based on and uh, taking a moment to do all of that and research it because I, first of all, I, I felt ashamed that I actually didn't know about this prior to this Netflix series. I did not know the true story component. Um, I think it is something that everyone should watch. And I was shocked at how right from the get-go in the first episode, watching those two male cops go after this young woman in this very, the, 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 the interrogation scenes with her, because she's a victim, not somebody who deserved to be interrogated. It was, it was heart-wrenching. And that young actress, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, but she was phenomenal. She's also in Book Smart, which she's terrific in that as well. Right. She's also in Just- um, Justified. I think there's a, some kind of Justified connection to somebody on this series because there's a number of performers from Justified who, who turn up in this. Yeah, Kara, I think one of the other things that's really hard about that first episode is, you know, we talk about rape kits. We talk about rape exams and stuff like that. And we talk about them. You know, you know there may be this kind of SVU effect. It's been suggested where you, know, you just think these things kind of get solved in an hour. Uh, and even just watching through her go through that process at the hospital, which I now understand to be a four to eight hour process, which can re-traumatize the victim. I just hadn't really understood how awful that is. Right. I actually thought about SVU too because I'm an avid SVU. Fan. And um, like Carolyn, I like true crime. I love procedurals. I love detective novels and movies and shows. And this show did something different. It made it so raw. It made it so horrible to watch what she went through in exactly what you're just talking about, Colin, just the aftermath. The aftermath, obviously, the act was horrific, but the aftermath was horrific too in a different way. And I had never. I had never seen that laid out so bare, I would say. Um, And then as the show continues, I think another thing that's really interesting, the show and the article it's based on are laid out so that you're looking at Marie's story, again, not her her real first name, and then you're looking at other victim stories. And the way the show compares the two and what went wrong was so infuriating, but also so well done. And as a viewer, you're you're kind of caught between really enjoying it and also, I mean, just f- feeling the unfairness so in the pit of your stomach. And I just kept wanting it to be resolved. I wanted right. the right thing to happen so badly while I was watching it. I was also completely drawn in. And if I'd had the time and the reserves to stay awake long enough, I think I would have watched it all in one night also. Well, and I think that the fascinating thing is that you as a viewer – know the connecting pieces. I mean, you don't right. necessarily know the who, but you have all of the all of the pieces and it's kind of watching the the, the two detectives coming together um and and their their difference in working and personalities and everything was a really great dynamic as yeah. well. And I want to get I want to get back to that in a second, but I want to just get a, just a general reaction from Rebecca. I mean, I think the oh, thing yeah. that struck me the most beyond, obviously, the heinous crime was, you know, the way that Marie was violated more than just the initial assault. She was, you know, clinically undressed at the hospital, which was, I thought, a devastatingly insightful sequence. You know, you don't ever I, I can't think of another show where I've seen them take that much time to go through the rape mm-hmm. kit. Here's, you know, the medication list you're given afterwards, things I hadn't ever thought about that they took a long, long time walking her through that. And then the third is when, you know, she's being interrogated and they're undressing her story and saying, well, that doesn't line up. And, of course, when you're traumatized, the things you say 
you know, can change as different memories are reactivated. And then the fourth is, you know, when they press charges, which was unprecedented for a police station to file a misdemeanor report on a false charge, which turned out obviously not to be a false charge. So that really just incensed me. And I think to kind of have her character be the one that has to wait the longest for any sort of resolution. You know, that the crime is figured out for the the victims that they can link, but she gets kind of just pushed to the side until the last episode and to watch this girl's life fall apart around Completely her. Completely unravel. Yep. Yeah. yeah, everything's going wrong for her. And yet we should say that the other crimes take place in the state of Colorado. This is this isolated, it's the first rape, and it takes place in, in a very small or fairly small community in Washington state. So it's a little bit sort of hived off from everything else. I will say just before we leave the hospital that one person that I want to have watch this series is Joe Lieberman. And that's because it still stays with me when the state was having a big debate about Plan B, making Plan B available available for all rape victims at all hospitals. And there were some hospitals which, as a matter of faith, didn't want to do that. Uh, Joe Lieberman's response was, well, it's just a short cab ride or drive to the next hospital. Uh, now, there's no way that you can watch Marie Atkins, this character, and think that she can handle another cab ride to get one more piece of her medical. I mean, what she has to go through as it is, is, as we're all saying, probably worse than most of us had ever imagined. But so, yeah, what we get now is these are these two parallel stories that toggle back and forth all the way through this series. One of them is the story about Maria Atkins, whose life is continuing to fall apart in terms of employment, personal relationships, friendships, her housing, her relationship with two of her prior foster mothers. Everything is absolutely like a domino effect going wrong. And then, on the other hand, you're seeing, you know, a more, much more recognizable police procedural with two detectives played by Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver. Um, they're very, very different in their temperament and their approach. Uh, Tony Collette is a tough-talking, beer-drinking, muscle car refinisher in her spare time. Uh, Merritt Weaver plays a an evangelical who bops down the road to Christian rock on her radio and very carefully places her gun in a gun safe when she goes back to her wife and her husband and kids. Uh, and they, they are temperamentally very different. But yeah, Carolyn, some of that, I mean, there's something reassuring about seeing, seeing these two very, very competent women get on this case that's been mishandled. Yeah, I, I it, it felt like the the girl power of this show is almost, I mean, it kind of had that, uh, if it wasn't a true story, you'd feel like this was just written to kind of give that, like, that girl empowerment fairy tale of, like, women can come together, women will get it done. Uh, and that's what I... I did really love is that you had these bumbling cops, the juxtaposition of these bumbling cops who just completely destroyed a young woman's life because of their inability to listen. They will, and now you have these two female cops who are doing nothing but listening to victims and their own intuitions. So it was fascinating to see. And I, I really loved, a lot of times with shows, they lose me when there's a lot of, jumping around between, you know, past and present, where you have that, um, you know, where you're moving about. But this show did that very successfully. I have a theory about that, too, Kara, which is I've been thinking a lot about this in connection with our current fascination for true crime and series about wrongful prosecutions and 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 the way that we watch crime shows in general, which is that I almost think maybe Immanuel Kant was right, that we are hardwired to want certain things. And as Rebecca was saying, we want justice like, you know, I'm 
fairly interested in the police procedural, but I'm mostly thinking, can we get back to Marie Atkins? Can we get this thing resolved? Can she stop suffering and twisting in the wind like this? And, and there is, I think, a restlessness that all of us feel. We can't stop watching this series until this horrible thing gets fixed. Right, exactly. And that's, um, I mean, a little bit what what I was saying before. I, to- I totally agree with you, Colin. I think that we, there is, I think there's a restlessness. I think we want, we want certain things, even when we say we want things to be, you know, as they are or unfinished or, you know, it's more artistic to leave things unfinished. I think we really want things to be finished. And I think that this show did an incredible job of making you feel both of those pulls, of making you th- feel like Carolyn was just saying this girl power sort of I mean to be honest with you there were parts of when I was watching this that I felt a little uncomfortable because I was like go girls like solve this crime and then you'd be taken back to Marie's story and be completely devastated and I think I think that that was great I think it made me um, it made me think about the whole story in a different way and if you haven't read the article that it's based on I really recommend that it's a it's an amazing read it is really the the show is really true to the yeah. true story mm-hmm. and the way that they tell it and it's a it's a beautiful article for, for lack of a better word i mean i was i was crying at parts of it because of the injustice and and so grateful to reach the conclusion because of the justice as slow as it came there's a line in the article where they say that these female detectives have created themselves a sorority inside the fraternity of the police force, and they have accompanying statistics saying there's only 13% of the police force is occupied by women. And I thought that came through very clearly in the show. I mean, even at uh, Grace Rasmussen, played by the lovely Tony Collette's PD, they have like a, a group of female cops that go out and play pool, and they help each other solve their, cri- their crimes. And I think that is the biggest thing. It's that the men didn't communicate and they didn't listen when handling Marie Adler's processing. But more than that, they're not communicating interdepartmentally, whereas the women did. They crossed those divides. Uh, what's her name? The Merritt Weaver's act, the character's name, whose name I Karen Duvall. I got there. She is the one that reaches out to Rasmussen, makes that connection that wouldn't necessarily have happened by the way these force, police forces are set up. And the the perpetrator knew that he the reason why he picked his victims is because he knew the police departments don't communicate and the women were able to break that down because they were inherently communicating with each other because of their circumstance they were this small cloistered bubble inside the bigger male department i do want to just say a few things which is that um as a result of all this linwood exactly at the time commissioned an outside review of how they handled the case realized and realizing how badly uh, they'd done it washington state uh, has now um, instigated and required 24 hours of training uh, of officers to recognize and apply a trauma informed victim centered lens and all uh, uh, an approach to all sexual assault investigations that you know this did happen 11 years ago and things are getting better i mean things aren't perfect by any means and this could happen anywhere in the country again but there's there it does happen. And there, I would also like to shout out the research of Rebecca Campbell. Uh, she's a neuroscientist who's really done a lot of work figuring out why. Why do um, sexual assault victims have a lot of trouble reconstructing their stories? Why do they report it wrong? One of the problems that uh, Marie runs into is that she tells the story differently a few times, sometimes with pretty major deviations. 
Uh, and uh, Rebecca Campbell sort of talked a lot, uh, studied a lot about how the brain stores information in these situations. Hey, one thing I wondered about, because you don't see it that often, there is this sort of Sigmund Freud, C.S. Lewis thing that goes on between these two detectives, one of them who has, has a very faith-based approach to life. She goes mm-hmm. to an evangelical church. The other one, the Tony Collette character, Rasmussen, uh, is tough as nails and pretty clearly an atheist, except when she's not. I don't know. How did that? Uh, I, I kind of enjoyed that. I hadn't seen that very often in this kind of a kind of a, a story. How did it land for you guys? Anybody? I think it flipped that, you know, mentor-mentee script a little bit. They both had things to teach each other, so it wasn't that stale narrative where it's like the older woman is going to take the younger woman under her wing. And there are those sweet moments where she does allow Duval, the younger police officer, to be the one that busts the perpetrator in the end, and but yeah. doesn't make any sort of fanfare out of it. It's not like, here you go, my young grasshopper. Now you can spread your wings and fly. It was done very subtly and gracefully, and I think that that was very intentional. And I do think that Rasmussen learned things from Duval's character. I mean, they she walked away from it with a greater understanding of of peace and spirituality that I don't think she necessarily had beforehand. Yeah. I found that the almost buddy cop, you know, like that classic buddy cop kind of dynamic of uh they they that kind of sometimes broke the tension of going through the series, especially if you're going to sit and binge it. I think it's eight episodes, so you're sitting there you're with them for these eight intense hours and the moments of these subtle moments of comedy that the two characters have in their interactions because they are so different worked and gave you gave you those moments of of relief in a otherwise very uh you know intense and emotional journey can i say one talk about one other source of comic relief because i just think this woman is going to She's oh. already flying off the charts. Oh. Annalie Ashford is yes. an unbelievable performer. Once you see her in one thing, you just look for her everywhere else because her performances just fly at you. In this one, she plays a rape victim, so that isn't really typically a source of great comic relief, but she's a druid, and she's just, you know, very. <laughs> she's kind of a, a, a talker backer. She doesn't really take any crap from anybody. Uh, she's the most pissed off uh, druid you ever saw in your life. And this actress, who is going to play Paula Jones uh, in the um, extension of the American Crime Story series that included the OJ trial and the Versace thing, she's going to play Paula Jones. She's. I, I first saw her in Masters of Sex, where she plays this kind of so secretary. good in that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really do think this is an amazing young actress who is yep. just going to go places. She's a huge huge Broadway star, yep. too, and cabaret performer. I'll say the same for Danielle McDonald, who plays one of the rape victims, Amber, who mm. has been in a couple yeah. things, and she's fantastic, and I think she's going to have... Most recently, Dumpling. She Dumpling. was also in Dumpling on Netflix, yeah. which is terrific. Which I really didn't want to like, but really endeared itself to me by the end, and I think How it was... How do you not like that? Because of the Dolly Parton connection. I know. I, I know. first line to watch that. I, I just it seemed a little hokey when I watched the trailer, but she really sold me on it. Uh, Danielle McDonald, yeah. another one to watch out for. Kara, we have to do this really fast, but you know, we talked about it at the SVU effect, they talk about the CSI effect, which yeah. I'd never known about. The notion that right. rapists and other tort visors, they watch CSI and they know how to clean up their own crime scenes. I found, found that kind of astonishing. Right. Yeah, that was that was, uh, that was horrifying. <laughs> that was a horrifying detail. And they also <laughs> talked about some other ways that, um, that rapists know how to um, target their victims, clean up their clean up the crime scene. I mean, it was it was chilling. It was chilling to chilling to watch and, and, and chilling to think about. Textbooks to Horrifying. Yes, well, this okay. is the content yeah. thing. Everything is open source exactly. now. So right. if you want to be a smart perpetrator, you can be. All right. We have to stop this so you'll have time to make some endorsements. Let's do that stopping, and we'll come back after this.
All right, people to thank. Jonathan McPants is the uh, producer of this episode, uh, and uh, Kion Wolf is on the board, making the episode sound really good. We've got our uh, intern, new intern today, Jared Todd. Uh, he's in there helping out with Betsy Kaplan on the phones as we took those calls uh, from the outside world. Uh, we have to train Jared today about how we can't get off the elevator on the second floor. We have uh, DARPA chimp experiments on the second floor. If he gets bitten <laughs> by the chimps, he will get rage virus and kill other people. Um, all right. So uh, time to endorse some things. Why don't we start with you, Kara McDonough? Okay. So uh, there's a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's by a woman named Catherine Price. And I haven't read it, so I'm not endorsing that. However, on her webpage, she has a seven-day phone breakup challenge. And it's just about how to use your phone less in less annoying ways. Um, I don't use my phone a ton, but I do do some heavy checking of Twitter when I'm bored. And I did this seven-day phone challenge, and I am no longer bringing my phone into my bedroom and obsessively checking political Twitter at night, which is a huge life wow. improvement. Yeah. And I uh, I mean, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it some days, but I'm not doing it every night. I don't bring my phone into my bedroom at all. And so I would like to endorse the seven-day phone breakup challenge. It's on Catherine Price's website. Um, even if you don't overuse your phone, if you use it in ways you'd like to stop, it's really helpful. We actually have a show, with which we did with Ka- uh, uh, Catherine Price. Oh, I'll have to listen. To which, that. And she's a terrific guest. I think we've done oh, two good. shows with I'm her now. Oh, good. I'm definitely going to listen to that. She did do a breakup with your phone show with us. Uh, Rebecca, what have you got? I got two books for you today. Surprise, surprise. The first is a book that I, at the time, didn't think I really liked reading, but has stuck with me since. I read it about six months ago, and I think that's a pretty good mark of a book if I'm still thinking about it. It's called Same, Same. It's the debut by Peter Mendelssohn, who was a architect in New York. And it's basically a lampoon of like think tank culture, corporate retreats, TED Talks, and all that whilst also the narrative structure really kind of mimics the act of procrastinating as a writer. It's just really interesting. I'd love for somebody else to read it so I can talk to somebody about it. So if you're out there and want to have a weird conversation about same, same, I do sort of recommend it. And then a full-fledged recommendation is The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Weijin Wang, which I just read. It is a stunning portrait of the artist with you know, some pretty serious mental illness to contend with. She does some wonderful research. The prose is absolutely stunning. So we're run, don't walk to the collected schizophrenias by Esme Weijun Wang. And Carolyn Payne, you don't really have to do one. You were pressed into service at the last minute, but if you have one. I do. Well, okay. So in response to Kara, I... The phone obsession thing, I was on a uh, podcast, which was actually recorded as a live show from CT Improv with uh, Tech Talk, and it was about uh, being a technology addict. And I pretty much learned during that show, as I was trying to defend myself, that I am a full-on tech addict. Um, and there was a... <laughs> There was a psych, there was a psychologist there who literally told me to get help. Um, but you can look up that podcast, and if you read what Carrot is talking about, it might be interesting to listen to that as well. Um, and then my endorsement: I have recently been revisiting the show. This is this is a weird one, but uh, well, it's not a weird show. But uh, Frasier, I know it's an old show now, but it's on Netflix. The whole series, and uh, I like to put on shows sometimes that I'm familiar with when I'm sitting doing work, like writing something or answering emails. And I have fallen in love. I was kind of too young to appreciate Frasier when it was on the air. Uh, and so now I have really uh, given it a, a watch. And if you haven't or if you want to rewatch it, it is just such smart comedy. All right. Kind of a Kimmy Schmidt uh, recommendation, but uh, and we like it. 
Kimmy Schmidt, if you yeah. remember. She was she was obsessed with Frasier because the last show she saw really before she went in the bunker. All right, so very quickly, a couple of things to tell you about Nightfall, which is this a tremendous, uh, wonderful assemblage of music and puppetry and, and cubberliness uh, is this weekend at Colt Park. Uh, I believe the actual performance starts at 6. Uh, and if you've never been to it before or if you have, you should probably go. Also, speaking of books, on the 25th, we uh, are going to do the a rare nose that's about a book. Um, it, it's about the new Stephen King book, the institution. I have actually already read it because I had a cold and I just sat there and read it while I had a cold. Uh, and that'll be on October 25th. So you might want to read the book and you can get ready and stuff like that. All right. I'm so excited to recommend this. This is a stupid recommendation, except it's not. Um, in our house, we had kind of this bread crisis. I'm talking about the kind of bread you get for like sandwiches and stuff because they discontinued the kind of bread that we liked. And my significant other was on this sort of Homeric quest to find a replacement bread. And all these different breads came back and all of them were not right. And um, and so while she was in Tennessee last week, I found the replacement bread, and it has a great story to it too. It's called Dave's Killer Bread. Oh, I love Dave's Killer Bread. Yeah, Dave's Killer Bread is really good, and it's also you don't have to have to buy it at woo places like Whole Foods. They've got it at Stop and Shop and Target and Walmart and all kinds of places like that. It is um, part of it is a second chance program for uh, former prisoners. I think one third of their workforce is former prisoners. The guy Dave, as in Dave's Killer Bread, is I think an ex con. Uh, so this is a uh, finding meaningful work for them and the bread's really good we like breads that have like lots of seeds and stuff in them and there's a one called good seed that we in particular uh like we might even be doing a show with them in the future because we're thinking about re-entry for ex-cons and stuff like that so um so yeah get it and go on their website too they have all this stuff going on they have a group called Breadheads and stuff like that dave's killer their branding is cute yeah the branding is very cute and it is you like it yeah i do i love it it's great and yeah. their white bread's actually good too oh, I, really? you know most people don't like white bread anymore but it's really good well some people no i think a lot of people like white bread it's crucial just, for certain things people don't people, i feel like people don't want to admit to liking white bread right, exactly. I prefer, <laughs> if i'm gonna keep bread in my house i want it to be white bread because multi-grain or that other bread i always can't tell if it's moldy or not right. like <laughs> bread or multi-grain the bread, me, so. the bread I'm talking about, the bread that I'm talking about, the bread that we like, if you're eating this in a park, birds are going to come over and go, are you going to finish that? Yeah. Do you want that? Are you going to eat the whole thing? Because I would like that. That's what this bread is like. But anyway, thanks to this a wonderful panel. Thanks to Carolyn for jumping in from the Magic Kingdom. Go back, go on a roller coaster, have a daiquiri, <laughs> not necessarily in that order. Uh, and um, yeah, people think I'm kidding. <laughs> thanks to Cara and Re- Re- Rebecca and to everybody who... Who, uh, pitched in today and thanks to the people who called in with topics that was really cute 